Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Welcome to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. This week we talked to John Glennie, the skipper of the ill-fated Rose Noel, whose story is the subject of a recent feature film that is available on Netflix and Amazon. I've been uh, getting ready to, to start the school year and uh, have also been working on a few other projects. You know, uh, now that I'm back, uh, my procrastination on uh, writing the next book uh, needs to stop. And I, I so I want to make some headway on what I hope to be my third book, slow boat to Cuba. And so, I, you know, my plan is to probably scale back the frequency of the podcasts from, you know, maybe we, we were really doing uh, once a week. And we, for the last couple, we've done every two weeks, we might go all the way back to once a month. Uh, I, I'm not sure, depending on how I feel about it. Uh, you know, I want to keep the podcast going, uh, but I, you know, there are other projects that I want to pursue. Uh, I have a lot of great interviews uh, in the can. So, uh, for instance, in the next episode, episode 27, uh, we'll have the crew of SV Prism and their their wonderful YouTube series. Uh, so I can't wait to bring them to you. But I also am pursuing, you know, other projects. Uh, in addition to the book, I'm also uh, trying to put together the YouTube series uh, for Slow Boat Sailing, our season one from New Orleans to the Panama Canal and across the equator via Cuba. And we just came out with the fourth episode in that series uh, where we sail back in time to a place that has more horse-drawn carriages than it does have cars. And, of course, those cars are from the 50s. Nueva Verona. After that time warp, we'll go to the the Cuban version of Sandals, Cayo Largo, Providencia, in, which is really just a gorgeous island that everybody dreams of visiting, and uh, through the Panama Canal. So, you know, with those episodes, with the writing, I think it just makes sense to, to scale back the production of the podcast. You know, the other thing that I've been looking at is that the I've noticed that the new episodes, in terms of the downloads, have not been keeping up with the old episodes. So I think we've got a lot of people that are just finding the podcast for the first time, and they have not made it all the way through the podcast. So, uh, you know, an, another thing I'd like to to bring you, uh, this is a, an excerpt from our very long interview with John Glennie. And, you know, one of the things that he told me in uh, our three-hour discussion over the phone uh, was that even though he did co-author uh, a, a book about his ordeal and his cruise ordeal, 
the time he was suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome and was not able to help his co-author very much in terms of what actually happened and she had to draw a lot of conclusions. So I think it's important to bring the whole story uh, that John Glennie gave to me uh, in our long conversation to listeners on uh, iTunes as probably an audio album, which will probably sell. And we'll make a, a longer portion of this conversation available uh, to our Patreon subscribers, but we'll make the full conversation uh, as an iTunes album. You know, the one of the things is that the podcast is not self-sustaining in terms of the, the financials and and so it's right now it's kind of a, a charitable endeavor for me. I've tried to, to make it self-sustaining through the Patreon campaign, uh, which has been somewhat successful, but really not enough to pay its expenses. You may think I make great amounts of money from uh, my books, but I really don't. And I've actually seen my book sales fall since I started the podcast. You know, that's probably seasonal, probably is unrelated to the podcast, but it's also not encouraging as, you know, kind of a, a good use of my time. So I'm still interested in bringing you the most interesting sailors in the world, as I have on a weekly basis for many months, but I, maybe not on a weekly basis anymore uh, or, or for a while that we'll just not do it weekly or bi-weekly, but maybe closer to monthly. I have made episode six, South Pacific Weather with Met Bob, as a paid-only episode, which is an audio album on iTunes available for $1.99. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes, or you could click the three dots and view full description and hopefully click to that uh, or search for that under my name. And that, that uh, you'll find that under my name and under albums. It's got a different picture than the podcast does, and it says episode six. And, and that's, a, that's available only for download uh, through iTunes paid. I, I don't have any more plans to uh, make past episodes, paid episodes. Uh, and I think everybody that's listening to this today has probably already listened to it, so you're not going to be interested in that. Uh, but that that's one route that I'm trying to see if it's a way to keep the the podcast paying for itself. And, you know, I have seen the average number of downloads increase substantially over the last several weeks. So on average, the, the average number of downloads per episode has been continually rising, even though there is a lag for when the new episodes are, are being listened to. So, you know, I just a the other project I have been working on is I just recorded Navigation Rules International in Inland. And this is a book that is required to be on all vessels in the United States waters over 12 meters and it's also the core material of all 
the Coast Guard Merchant Mariner certifications, including the Captain's Exam, the 100-Ton Master's Exam, the OUPV, or Six-Pack Captain's Exam. And so I recorded that, and that should be on iTunes. It is available on CD Baby right now, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes for $9.99. And the, I did that because I couldn't find that anywhere uh, on the Internet, uh, an audio recording of that book. And one of the things is that uh, I've found is that the the American Sailing Association certifications really give you a very small window into the navigation rules, that they are actually much more complex. And so to be a professional merchant mariner or a captain who can take charter guests, you need to know about uh, 20 times or more the navigation rules that you're taught in the American Sailing Association curriculum, say, with if you took 101, 103, and 104 to be a, a quote, charter boat uh, certified. You know, and I was a guest on Franz's podcast, and I'm a big fan of his podcast, and he does have these ASA uh, lectures, uh, and he, he says this, and he does cover the NAV rules in the ASA, but he does say that they are just a small fraction of what's required of somebody if they want to take their captain's exam. And while he's not taken ASA, he has taken the captain's exam, and he, he does talk from experience there. And I thought that was definitely a hole in the market, and I, I thought that that would be a great service to test takers. Whether or not you're doing a self-study program or you've paid hundreds to thousands of dollars for a captain's exam training program. The thing is that the rules of the road exam, which is based entirely on NAV rules, international and inland, is really the toughest exam that the Coast Guard gives. And it has the highest pass mark of any of their exams at 90%. And the rules are not at all intuitive, and they're not at all within your experience on the water. So you could have hundreds, if not thousands of days on the water, but because your experience was probably not garnered by looking out for exotic vessels, that you would not be able to score a 90% without a lot of study. So, you know, I think a one important component of that study would be to simply hear someone tell you what the NAV rules are. And that's what I do in those uh, audio lessons that I, I, I read the NAV rules, international and inland, which are in many cases verbatim what the test questions on the captain's exam will be. So that NAV rules, captain's exam study audio recording audio album will be available on iTunes for $9.99 in the next several weeks. And probably by the time most of you hear this podcast, it will be up there and also available on Amazon Music. All right. So without further ado, let's speak to John Glennie. Where where are you located in again? I'm uh, near Olympia. Washington. Olympia, you know, it's the, it's the capital city of um, Washington State. 
and I'm about 30 miles east of Olympia. Tell me about when you started sailing. I did my apprenticeship as a boat builder, and I was, at the time I was uh, cycling, um, road racing, and track racing, and I was trying to get to Olympics and all that sort of stuff. And then I had a, uh, a bad accident on my bike, and while I was uh, recuperating, I had to change change dreams, and then I um, and my dream I'd remember from reading a book on Eric Hiscock, which was called Beyond the, the West Horizon, and uh, so I thought that's what I'll do. I'll build a boat and go sailing, and then I found uh, in the New Zealand Sea Spray magazine there was a photo of. Arthur Piver with his Lodestar Trident in, in uh, Alawai Yacht Harbour in Hawaii and it thought I I looked at it and it looked like a um, like a like an aeroplane and I thought wow this will be good I won't get I won't get seasick because um, I get terribly seasick and uh, so we built that so I knew all about how to build a boat and uh, but I didn't know anything about sailing. So the um, so the only thing I knew about sailing was from reading a, a book, and it showed you where to put the sails out with all the, with the wind coming from different directions. And you know if the wind was on the side, you let them halfway out and that sort of stuff. And then, and then then there was another little diagram of the boat straight into the wind with the mainsail flapping like like a snake and I thought well how unique it probably goes to it must go to windward like a snake does with a thing does so, so when we built the boat and went out in the Cook Strait um, I tried doing that and it didn't work so that's about as much as I knew about sailing and okay boat, so that's a good there's a good point you mentioned you were in the Cook Strait so where did you grow up um, in, in Blenheim and uh, and Picton. New Zealand. Okay. All right. So, um, you you started out. Uh, you, so, is that on the North Island or the South Island? That's on the top end of the South Island. And we didn't know anything about sailing, and um, and we got into one heck of a lot of strife. In fact, we used three sixteenth stainless steel shackles for piston hanks because we didn't know that there was piston hanks for the sails in those days. And we used um, washing line for for the sheets and halyards because we couldn't buy anything like that. It was very, very basic. We didn't have, um, uh, there was no room to put the, the um, thingy on the deck. We had nothing to tie it to. And when you say we, we, you mean you and your brother? What's your brother's yeah, and, name? And we had we had no lifelines, no lifelines at all. What is and your brother's we, name? David. David. Okay. Yeah, and we and we got we got a couple of crew, and um, on the way across Cook Street, we got into one hell of a storm out there. Okay. Before we talk about this 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 storm, could you tell me the name of your first boat? And you guys built that from scratch. It was a trimaran. Yeah, it was called Highlight. Highlight, okay. Um, it was a it was a low star trimaran, 
we did a couple of trips around the um, South Pacific and then went up to um, Hawaii and Canada. In fact, we were the first overseas trimaran to sail to Canada. That was 1969. And then we sailed down the coast down to LA in 69. We called into San Francisco and then 1969 was the big hippie era. So um, I tried sniffing coke, but the bubbles got up my nose. So we went on and we spent over a year in Marina Del Rey. Cool. Wow. That's a big trip. It's a yeah, long well, trip from the we South going, Island yeah. of New Zealand to Canada to Marina Del Rey in California. Yeah, we did 35,000 miles in it. And then we, to make money, we did a few deliveries, you know, transpack boats back from Hawaii and up and down the uh, Mexican coast and that sort of stuff to make a bit of money. So, you know, by that time you were a professional skipper, I guess? Yeah. And then we um, we sold the boat there and then we went back to um, Australia and I designed a new boat and we built the boat there on foam and glass, PVC foam and glass. And, um, and then I sail up the barrier reef and spend a bit of time up there and then across to New Zealand. And then uh, preparing the boat ready to sail back up to the island and we were going to go and the, um, the yachting regatta in, in Tonga. And after a couple of days out, uh, we got hit by a storm. Actually, what I did is I saw the storm coming up. It was a southerly storm. And I went out there specifically to to get into it, to give us give ourselves a quick trip to um, Tonga, and I had um, a couple of crew or three crew who had never been sailing before. Okay. And um, so the the name of the boat was the Rose Noel. So you're talking about the story of the Rose Noel, and is that yeah. what what year is this now? That was '89 when we left. Okay. And I named Rose Noel after Tahitian beauty queen. I met in Tahiti and and then later on she was an airport greeter in Tapiti Tahiti and she was going to come out to meet me in, in Australia where I was doing the boat and uh, she was going to call into um, Peru to see a friend of hers first on the way out and she never arrived so I sent a letter to her to find out what had happened and the letter came back to see there which meant she deceased. She was killed on the Pan Am jet that crashed on takeoff in Papiri Harbor. So I named the boat after her. You had been sailing for a good 20 years before the Rose Noel called in New Zealand, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you'd done, you, you were a professional delivery skipper. Uh, you probably, you said you, you were in a storm uh, the first night out with your first boat, but the name of your first boat again was Highlight. Highlight. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we we sailed back to um, back to Picton from Wellington across the Straits in New Zealand, and then we got the boat ready again. And then the next time we went out, we got hit by a, a whale and broke the rudder after about um, half an hour, and we drifted up and down the up and down Cook Strait all night. And then um, in the morning, we were coming close to the rocks, and we called on the phone, and 
and the whale chaser came out and picked us up and towed us back in. So what was so, the so your first storm with your first boat? What uh, what were the winds? What were the waves like in in that storm? Uh, the first one going across, um, it was blowing. Well, there was a ship going through at the, t- at the time, and they recorded sixty knots going across. But in Cook Strait, the and then we um, went through the Terrawitty Whip, and the and we had to really hang on from the boat was right over on its side on the on the face of the waves and we had to hang on to stop from being thrown over the side. Okay. And so we, you guys we, you guys were having you were physically having trouble uh, not being knocked off the boat. You guys were both on deck, you you and your brother. Yeah. 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 And and that's how we learned to sail. We 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 didn't have any lessons. We just learned the hard way, and we we learned from making mistakes, and we did that all the time. So, what do you think you did right in that sixty knot storm that you know you got back into port? Well, we we uh, blew the heads all out, okay. and then we had to then we had to ring up for um, um, then a fishing boat came in and, and towed us in. Okay. All right, so you you guys weren't you weren't going very fast with the blown headsail, so you did need some help. No, you, no a, a multi-hull won't sail at all without a headsail. Okay. Yeah. And all right. We, yeah. And and that's how we learned how to sail. And then we got into lots of trouble um, when we left left Auckland. We went up to Norfolk Island and came back, um, and then we left. From there to go up to, oh, that's right. We were going to go to Rapa, which is a um, uh, Rapa Iti. Rapa Nui is Easter Island, and Rapa Rapa Iti is a smaller one down there. And a, an American journalist lady went there, and she noted that the woman outnumbered the men by ten to one because what happened is that. The old whaling ships used to go in there and they used to take all the men because they were such excellent sailors. So there was very few men left on the island. And she said that the, um, she wrote an article in an American magazine and said that the um, women used to feed the men at the meals and they would do all the work. And I always thought, well, hallelujah, praise the Lord, let's go there. But she wasn't allowed to go there because because of that article, no one was, the French authorities wouldn't let you go there. So we just, went down through the Roaring Forties and um, we just arrived. And and on that trip down there, we got hit by a um, another big wave. Actually, we were hove to in a storm. We went through seven storms on that on that one trip, 28 days. And um, and we were lying at home and, and I was reading a, um, a magazine and I heard this horrendous roar and I looked out through the window and it was a vertical wall of water, it was about 60 foot high, and the water was running down the face of it, and um, it made one hell of a noise. And um, next moment, it just everything went black. It just picked us up and it dumped us in the in the wave. The water in the um, in the trap at the bottom of the sliding window, there was always a little bit of water, and it, it came out and it hit the um, the cabin top, hit the ceiling, ran about three feet and stop, which meant that for it to have done that, we 
had to have gone past 90 degrees and we and we came back. But it dumped us in the bottom of the, in the in the um, in the wave and it uh, it cracked the the leeward hull where we got where we got dumped. So um, I know what a 60 foot vertical wall of water looks like, and if you if you do a search for a BBC um, documentary called Freak Wave, you'll see what freak waves are like. And um, even the, uh, the academics still call it a wave, but it's not a wave because a wave, in a wave, the water um, stays where it, is, where it is. It's only the wave, the wave which which is moving. The water still stays in the, in the same place. But in a vertical wall of water, that whole um, wall of water moves along. The whole thing moves along, and it could. It could happen for for um, you know half a mile or something. There was another ship went down to Antarctica and they noticed it down there. But if you watch that documentary, it'll um, give you a pretty good idea of waves, of freak waves. So what was what was the kind of wind speeds in, the, in that storm where you were rolled in uh, your older or your first boat? Yeah, that was in my first boat and, and highlight. Um, and we were down about 46 degrees in the in the um, Great Southern Ocean then. And I'm probably the only person around who has ever seen a, a vertical wall of water and survived. There's probably lots of people have seen them, but they would never have survived. It's not something you would survive in. And I think the reason they make such a, a lot of noise. But the, it was it was blowing pretty hard already, and the wave heights were pretty big, right? Yeah. You were in the roaring forties, yeah, so yeah, probably yeah, the, you'd. The waves are the waves are big, but in a in a freak wave, um, I'm not too sure what happens, but it, it's they just get together or something happens, and a lot of ships have gone down, and a lot of ships have been very badly um, damaged from a freak wave. But they are vertical wall of water. There was a in that in that video, you'll notice that the um, the captain of the Queen Mary was interviewed, and he said he said it looked like the White Cliffs of Dover, and that's what a that's what a, a wall of you know a freak wave looks like a wall of water. It's just vertical, and it just runs across the um, ocean floor and makes a hell of a noise. Except in the big ships, I think they are insulated from the noise, so they don't hear that noise. But in a small boat, you, you hear that noise. So in Rose Noel, when we got early in the morning, during the storm we were hoped to, and the um, and the parachute storm spinner had um, collapsed because the uh, trip line got caught around it. Uh, about six o'clock in the morning, I we heard this horrendous roar, and I knew exactly what it was, because it had the same signature noise as the one that caught us down the Great Southern Ocean. So it just turned us straight over. On the uh, abandoned movie that just came out, I guess it, it was released in New Zealand, right? Yeah, it was, it was released in New Zealand in August last year. And okay. it's just been released on Netflix now. Yeah, so I was able to watch it on Amazon, read it on Amazon, but I think if you're a Netflix subscriber, you probably get it part of your subscription or... 
Uh, if you're doing Netflix streaming, maybe you can get it. So I watched that, and one of the things that struck me was how unrealistic the wave looked. <laughs> uh, that uh, it, it looked like they were just you guys were sailing on a nice sunny day, and and then and then there was just a wave out of nowhere. But it wasn't the case that the you know you were probably in thirty foot waves at the moment, you know, and maybe that was a sixty footer or something like that. Yeah. It was a, yeah, we were in a storm, but it wasn't calm or anything like that. It, it had nothing to do with the, um, what they de depicted on, on the film. And nothing like that at all. And it, um, it didn't relate to the extreme cold that we were in either. Because it was the middle of winter and it was very, very cold. And, um, when the boat turned upside down, everything went out. One of the guys kicked it the companion way doors, he panicked and of course everything got sucked out and so we threw everything into the aft cabin. The aft cabin was underneath the cockpit, it was way way down low so when you're upside down it was the highest point on the boat so we took out all the, um, or I took them all the, the drawers and the cabin, uh, the um, cupboard doors, anything I could find and threw it all in the aft cabin and tacked it up so it was above the waterline. And we had um, 18 inches of headroom by the ta time I packed it all up. And it was just above the water, above the water. And when we're in a storm and you get that surge in through the cabin, that surge used to come through and absolutely um, saturate us. And the only way we had of keeping um, dry, uh, getting dry was from the inside out. And it was very, very cold. It was just enough room for the four of us to lie like spoons in the art cabin. And after about half an hour, the people on the, the guys on the outside had to move over to the inside because they were they were getting so cold. Because you know it was the middle of winter, very, very cold, 40, 40 degrees latitude, and they're only forty. And we should have been on a trip to Chile. Because having been down there once before, I know that there's there's no hope. That's the that's where the old sailing ships used to go down into the roaring forties to do their trips around the world. And those winds down there, they just carry on round and round around the world. It's the old westerlies, and the uh, and they never turn around and come back again. So the um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't too bright what we got ourselves into. Okay, so yeah, let's let's go back to the storm. I think a lot of issues were kind, are kind of like brought up in the documentary or the movie or the books that have been written about that. You wrote a book. What was the name of your book? It was called The Spirit of Rose Noel. Right. And you can you can only sort you, know, you can only get that um, secondhand now. You have another book that is also available about your earlier travels. Yeah, it's called Playboys of the South Pacific. Okay. And that's on ebook. And so I think, you know, one thing that was brought up was that the companionway was open and that was one of the reasons why the, the cabin filled so quickly. Is that, was that fair? Or? Uh, no, not really. Um, it would, it would, it would come in and no matter what you did, you um, And it, the water only comes in as far as, you know, the static water line. Um, and that was, that really wasn't that big a problem. But the but boat was 
the how much underwater it was like half underwater i mean half the the airspace yeah, was the, underwater the, the, the water was up standing on the cabin top uh the water was up to about waist waist high and, okay, so probably if it's got six-foot ceilings, then it's, it's about three yeah, feet, about half. It, yeah. it was about six-foot three, six-foot four, six-foot two. So, you know, the other, I guess, criticism was that was often made was, uh, well, you know, a lot of gear fell out because the companionway was open. But yeah. you, you think it would have busted anyways. It might have done, yeah, but um, I I had a crew who who had never been to sea before, and one of them he started panicking and he wanted to have a helicopter brought brought out to have himself take off, and he yelled and screamed, and he he was in one hell of a state. And and that was and, Phil, right? Is that Phil? Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, what happened is. His attitude, his fear, had become contagious, and the and the other two, none of them would even come out to help me steer. And they were so very I, seasick, I, right? And the the crew was was any of them not seasick? No, we no no um, none of us were, were seasick. Yeah. Really, none no one were seasick. So it was like uh, thirty foot seas, but you know, fifty mile an hour uh, winds, but. Because we were we were running, you know, running in the southerly storm. But during the night, the seas got the bigger. Okay, so but, when when he but, panicked, but, nobody was seasick, but they wouldn't help you steer. So no. you so you hove too, just basically so you could rest because your crew members refused to take watch. Well, they wouldn't even come out in the cockpit to even steer. Okay. You know, I, um, I've had. Uh, girl crew on my last boat and went to a cyclone and, and there was two girls who, who didn't want to go out on the, on the helm by themselves so they, the two of them went out um, together and if I had girls with me I would have been okay but these these, these guys and the modern guys they, they um, are pretty bad and you're talking about a cyclone you had sailed through a cyclone prior, uh, uh, prior to yeah, the, the Rose Noel that, So you've been in you've been in some really nasty weather. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. you've been in more nasty weather than uh, most people that have sailed around the world. Yeah, yeah, you can sail around the world without even getting into a storm. I th yeah, I think that's tr true. I think I've you know come across a lot of people who say, oh, the worst thing I've been in is maybe forty knots, and that might have been close to port. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've um, I've made more mistakes than all the other people I knew put together. And it's funny because um, a lot of the, in our first trip around the South Pacific, we, we broke uh, six rudders. We got hit by a whale twice. Oh, twice. So you got hit by a whale near New Zealand and then where else? Yeah. Yeah. And then we got hit by a whale on the way up to Rarotonga. And it, um, it broke the... Uh, the stern of the port float, and but it was a, a watertight bulkhead in front of it, so that was okay. But it, it nicked the um, 
the float on the port float and that flooded there. So we had to turn around and go up to um, Rapa, uh, up to Rarotonga. And then when we left, well, there, obviously, uh, you know, sailboats have been hit by whales for hundreds of years. Uh, there's some recent examples of boats that have been sunk, where people live to tell the tale. Of course, In the Heart of the Sea was a very popular movie about the sinking of the whale ship Essex. So it does it does happen. Whales are very dangerous. I think a lot of people go out cruising and they think, oh, we're going to see whales. That'll be so awesome. And it is it is kind of nice, but it's also kind of a pretty risky prospect. Yeah, well, with the time, man, you know, it flooded the Harlem, you know, that sort of stuff. But it's, and, you know, in the morning when we were, we were sailing, I thought, you know, why is the the boat acting so funny, you know. So I went over and lifted the hatch up and the, and the hull was full of water. But if you get hit by a whale and a monohull, you know, you, you sort of, you blow bubbles all the way to the bottom. You don't have much show. Obviously, if what happened to you in the Rose Noel that it started filling up with water in a monohull, it would sink. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they actually float better upside down than what they do the right way. In fact, when just after we came back, I was um, noticing, uh, I read an article on a, a tri-man which was trying to break the record from San Francisco down around the Horn and back up to um, New York. And it was a, it was a, um, a 60-foot uh, tri-man, I think, a racing tri-man. And and the guy got um, turned upside down um, off Chile and the big waves and the winds down there. And then, blow me down, if a couple of days later, another big wave came along and turned him back, turned him back the right way. Can you imagine that? And the, I forget how the beam on the boat, but it was, it was huge. I think it was a 36-foot beam or something like that. But can you imagine a boat upside down? The tri-man upside down, the wave comes along and then turns it back the right way. Anyway, that's what happened to him. Yeah, yeah, we saw it. We had a couple of whales cross our bow pretty close, uh, just in Ecuador, and uh, luckily they didn't touch anything. <laughs> it was yeah. nice to see them, but... <laughs> my, my, my big fear was that, and it happened quite a few times, because we were sleeping in the aft cabin, or not actually sleeping, but lying there, and you'd hear a horrendous roar coming along, and you'd think, oh, God, you know. And um, my biggest fear was that a, a wave would come along and turn us back the right way, because the problem was is that we were lying on all sorts of stuff that I'd used to pack our bed up above the water. So if the wave come along and turn us back the right way, all that stuff would have been, we would have been under it all. And then we'd have to try and fight our way and try and, 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 and get out of the aft cabin, which just had a, a small opening. So that was my biggest fear then. Wow. The bravery you all showed was just amazing. So the Rose Noel was upside down for 119 days before you guys hit land? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the problem was, in, a, in a, uh, a yacht, when you turn upside down, all the water comes out of the water tanks through the breathers. 
we went to get the water and there was no water there because it was all drained out through the hoses, you know. Uh, the, the vent hoses, Yeah. we might say in the States. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. yeah. Yeah, everything's upside down. You know, just when things kind of start going wrong, they kind of go way wrong. And obviously that was a life-threatening situation for you guys. Yeah. Well, luckily, I'd... Um, I'd put in seven up Coca Cola and ginger ale and all those sort of things and and um, vinegar and I'd put them under the under the sole up forward and I'd screw it in under the hatches and the and the um, cabin sole. So when the boat was turned upside down we just I just took all the screws out and retrieved all those. So because we didn't have any um, water, we used that. Uh, to drink, and we had we limited ourselves to four ounces of, of Seven Up or Coca Cola a day, and four ounces is, is what you put in one of those small spice jars. So that's no, I don't think that's an, I don't think that's the recommended daily allowance of water. Plus, that's got a lot of salt in it. Yeah, well, the problem with, is with um, soft drink; it actually dehydrates the cells. The minimum you can get away with is, is apparently is, is four ounces, and that's what we were doing. And then on the 40th day, it rained, and I just made a water catchment system on the bottom of the boat. So you had 40 days without rain? Yeah. Wow. And then on the, I, I rigged up this water catchment system and used hoses and all that to run it inside so we can pick up the water. And then it rained on the that evening on the 40th day. And unfortunately, I painted the bottom of the boat with a, a white anti-fouling, which had been banned in New Zealand because it was so bad and it killed all the marine life on the, on the bottom of the harbour. So they banned it. And when, that, when it rained and it came off the, uh, off the painted bottom, and it ran down through the hose, and we started, and we, and we collected in, in bottles. That water was white from the from the white anti-fouling, but it was water. And then, and then the next 40 days, we had very little food. We were limited ourselves to two teaspoons of cold rice a day. So we used to soak the, the rice in water a day or two and then we'd have that so we had two teaspoons of that a day and then at the end of the, the next 40 days the boat turned into a floating reef and um, and we had mollusks on the bottom of the boat and the, uh, the kingfish came around to eat those on fine days and we made up a gap and, uh, and gapped them then so we ended up having um, John Glennie, the skipper of the ill-fated Rose Noel, and that boat, I believe, holds the record for the longest time that yachtsmen have been adrift ever. We had 119 days, and with the improvements in EPIRBs, I think you'll you won't find another crew to to match that record. I think John cites the fact that he he. Uh, was adrift for the longest in cold water 
but you really can't find any sailing yachts or sailing boats for pleasure that have a story of being adrift longer than they were. And it was a truly amazing story. And I, I think, you know, it was amazing how long they went without water. And in some cases, they may be benefited by the fact that they were in cold weather because they didn't sweat so much, which would have uh, accelerated dehydration. You know, I, th something that came out in our long conversation is that, you know, John Glennie's attitudes towards um, weather have changed throughout his life. So I, you know, skipper the slow boat, and I typically won't go out and weather a forecast above 20 knots. But, you know, with those restricts, and if you lived in the South Island of New Zealand like John did, uh, you might not go out at all or go offshore at all. So what are the things in Episode 6 of South Pacific Weather with Met Bob, weather forecaster Bob McDavid, uh, who uh, is a New Zealander too, said that, you know, you're going to get a gale every four to five days between New Zealand and Fiji. And that's one reason in my book, How to Sail Around the World Part-Time, I recommend that sailing yachts do something that's unconventional for uh, trade wind circumnavigations and that they skip New Zealand just so they can skip the beatings that so many uh, receive going between New Zealand and Fiji. So while he may have went out in more severe weather than is typical for that passage, that passage is typically going to hit the yacht with a, uh, a gale. And so it, it's a very tough passage, no matter how you make it. So that full discussion with John Glennie will be available on iTunes as an album. I typically make uh, free copies of my to-be-released books available to my newsletter subscribers. So I'd highly encourage uh, people to sign up for the free email newsletter that Jan always asks you to sign up for if you're interested in getting an advanced copy of Slow Boat to Cuba. If you want to see video of our adventures, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Slow Boat Sailing on YouTube. We've got the trailer in the first four episodes up. We'll probably have another episode up, our last episode in Cuba, in another two weeks. And we did a promotion for the first hundred subscribers uh, who had gave us their U.S. address and gave away a free limited edition book of how to sail around the world part-time to one of the lucky winners. That subscriber drawing for the first hundred or so subscribers uh, was featured in episode four of the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube vlog series. We'll do a second drawing when we hit 250 subscribers on the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel for those first 250 or so subscribers uh, who give us their U.S. address, and we'll draw that name from a hat, too. 
and the the winner will get a limited edition copy of Slowboat to the Bahamas. This episode is sponsored by Jennifer Clark's Gulfstream. Satellite oceanographer Jennifer Clark and professional meteorologist Dane Clark have over 35 years of experience helping sailors on blue water voyages. Their current charts, crossing waypoints, and personalized weather advice help sailors take advantage of favorable currents and minimize the impact of unfavorable ones. A link to their website, their email address, and their phone number are in the show notes. Many of you may have heard that uh, Louisiana has experienced some really bad floods. And many of my uh, friends and neighbors and colleagues uh, have had their homes flooded and have had to replace floors and drywall on the lower level. I've decided to donate the all the revenues that we get from Patreon for the months of August and September to the American Red Cross's uh, flood relief, and I encourage you to contribute, and I'll leave a link for that in the show notes. I want to say thanks to folks like Andy and Canopy Pilot who commented on our most recent YouTube video in our Cuba Vlog series. Keep the likes and comments coming. A great way to tell others about the podcast is to to leave a rating or review on iTunes, and I always appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Have some fun on the water. I'm Linus Wilson. Bye for now. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.